Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spiegel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spiegel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spleichel. We are happy to welcome this week's guest to discuss today's topic, which is forget your password. No, seriously, forget your password. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Stitch, a platform for passwordless authentication that makes it simple for apps and websites to retire the password. A big hello to Reed McGinley Stemple. Hi, Reed. Hey, Eddie. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. So quick question. When I first read your bio, I thought that you were offering users the technology to automatically remember all their passwords. But when I looked into you a bit more and read about Stitch, you appear to be on the user side for companies providing secure login for their customers. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. We're primarily a B2B company. And I think probably the best way to think about us as an analogy would be a company like Stripe that makes it easy for other companies to embed payments in their websites and applications. We make it alternatively easy for apps and websites to embed passwordless authentication for sign up and login in their application. Got, got it. And so I see you offer quite a few options such as email links, SMS passcodes, email passcodes, et cetera. How does it all work? Yeah. So the fundamental product that we offer to our customers are a simple API and also a front end SDK if they choose to use it uh, that allows them to leverage different authentication building blocks. Uh, like some of those options that you mentioned, like, yes, a magic email link that can allow someone to be logged in or an SMS one-time passcode, which on mobile, we've probably all had that great experience where that autofills um, email passcodes. We also support things like sign with Google, sign with Apple, sign with Microsoft. And then we just released a couple months ago, our first biometrics product so that users can sign up and log oh, wow. in with a touch ID or face ID. And to your question of like, how does it all work? Um, effectively, what we do is we do the heavy lifting of building and kind of inventing these passwordless authentication methods. Uh, and then we make it really easy for software engineers to integrate it into their own product um, by exposing our API that makes it so if you want to allow a user to sign with a biometric, it's really just a couple API calls to Stitch that allows that user to log in with Touch ID or Face ID. So what is the advantage for a company to do this instead of the traditional having a customer just choose a password. I mean, why why would a company need this, and why would a co- why would a company want this? Yeah, there are two major considerations for why companies decide to switch from password based to passwordless authentication. Um, those two big considerations are one security and two conversion, uh, and it kind of depends on usually the sector we're talking to and which one is weighing more in their mind. On the security side, the primary way that accounts get hacked today, actually 81% of all internet account breaches um, are due to weak or reused passwords. 
And so it's one of the problems that we have today where most users do reuse the same password across dozens of sites. So if one of those sites gets hacked, it creates a weak link in the chain. So for example, if Headspace had a hack, that could theoretically allow that attacker to also take over the user's Chase account or Coinbase account if they're reusing the same password. And that's a really common way of that fraud propagates online. So one side is, is security. Um, I'll say even more so like when we talk to e-commerce companies, uh, SaaS companies, and general like, you know, B2C use cases, conversion is probably even the bigger consideration. Because if you think about it, two of the primary metrics that you care a lot about uh, as a, you know, any company, any business is how much does it cost to acquire a user? And what is the lifetime value of a user? And from what we found working with our customers and prospects is that both of those metrics are really damaged by password-based authentication, both in the signup phase, when a user goes to create an account, you're creating a lot of friction and really introducing doubt into the user's mind of, do I want to actually use this account? Um, and so therefore, should I go through the process of creating and then confirming this multi-condition password that has special characters, has numbers, has a capital letter? And we actually see pretty significant double-digit percentage drop-off in the funnel at that point. So you're immediately increasing your CAC or cost of acquisition uh, for users. And then the other side is we find that even if a user signs up, uh, often whenever they forget their password, that's a really prime opportunity for them to actually fall out of using your service. And on average, what we found is that roughly 10% of your users will go through a password reset flow in any given month. Of those that request to go through a password reset flow, we actually see that the majority, closer to 75%, will drop off in the middle of it. So if you think about the LTV or lifetime value of your users, they're also damaged by the fact that you're introducing a really high friction process, like a password reset, when really all that user wants to do is buy a sweater or you know order an, a, a coffee to pick up, whatever the action is that they're trying to do in your website or app. Interesting. I got a few things from those. One is I should change from using the password, just password and all my stuff. <laughs> and second, you know, I can see where it would work, but how have you been able to prove it? Have you had any clients who have been able to attribute monetized results from, from using a passwordless system? Yeah, definitely. So one of the uh, case studies that we actually just released on our website a couple of weeks ago was actually an example of a company that was using one of our competitors, Auth0, who's an incumbent that's focused on password-based authentication as a service. Uh, and they had migrated over from Auth0 to Stitch and immediately saw a 62% increase in conversion. Uh, and there are really two primary things that they saw on that increased conversion for signups. One was that just by being passwordless, many more users are willing to try out the service. But the second thing was actually that a lot of the password forms and password providers today, um, if you're using you know, password, passwords as a service companies like Aussie or Okta, often they'll actually force you to click on a button and then get redirected to another site before being redirected back after the authentication. And this company, Lighthouse, uh, they're a next-gen rental uh, platform for consumers. They found that that redirect also created a ton of drop-off, in particular on mobile. Uh, and so, you know, I think both the passwordless element contributes to the 62% conversion increase, but also the fact that they're able to keep them in the same user experience uh, with fewer clicks and fewer redirects has allowed for a really dramatic increase that's helped both their LTV, but also of course, um, really 
shocked, uh, well, not shocked, but, you know, pleasantly uh, surprised to see that significant of a drop in their CAC or acquisition cost as well. So I'm a little confused still. When a new customer signs up and they're using a company who's using your Stitch, using Stitch to create passwordless login, how does it, how do they know it's still secure? I mean, are they are they still making creating a username? They're just not putting in a password. I mean, how how does that work? Great question. So today, you know, in the traditional model where you use a username or an email and password in order to sign up and access an account, uh, we still use unique identifiers in our system for the concept of a user. So we still have the concept of an email. For example, if you want to send that user a magic link or a passcode to authenticate them. We also allow you to register a user by their phone number primarily if you want to send a passcode that way. Um, and so you, you still have that concept of this is who this user is. And you can ask them for other things like you know address or username or whatever else you want to put on that user data model. Uh, but the big difference is that rather than asking them to produce a memorized secret at sign up, like a password, um, or when they come back, we instead decide to verify what is that primary contact method that is tied to this user. So for example, that could be email, could be phone number. Um, we have, you know, for example, Lighthouse, the example that saw a 62% increase in signup conversion, they actually let the user choose whether they want to sign up or log in with email or phone number because they find users on mobile tend to prefer uh, phone number verification uh, due to the ease of using that versus users on desktop generally prefer email because uh, it's a little bit more convenient for them. So you're still verifying one of those methods. You're just not requiring them to also have a temporary secret or sorry, a memorized secret, like a password. Mm -hmm. And from a security perspective, if you think about it, uh, what do password resets really do today? They actually are a form of passwordless authentication because anytime you forget your password and want to get back into a website or application, you know, 99% of use cases, all they're really doing is either sending you an email uh, that you have to verify ownership of your email address, or they're sending you a text message to verify ownership of your phone number. Right. And so really they are backboning the account with those types of identifiers. Okay. Uh, they're just making you go through, you know, seven to eight steps of a password reset to gain access to the site, even though it's really the email verification or the phone verification that underpins it. Okay. So I buy something and I put my email in, uh, let's say an e-commerce website that's using this. And then three months later, I come back and there's, there's a user button, right? I, I enter my email again. Yep. You can, you can enter your email or phone number depending on what okay. the application's using, but that's exactly right. So how does it know it's me? Does it send me an email then? Yeah. So a couple different options here. Let's stick with kind of the email example example to start, then I'll offer a couple other ideas. Um, but yeah, for the email, say that you come back to the site and you're trying to prove that, you know, this is Andy at gmail.com. I have stored, you know, credit card information on the account. So I want to have that recognized user experience. What you do is just enter Andy at gmail.com. And then there's a, there's a couple email based verification products that we offer. You can either send a magic link, which means it sends a link to your email that you click the call to action button, sign in or authenticate. Uh, and when you click that, that actually does the authentication for you. Mm -hmm. And so you're in the site, you're able to take any action that you want. The other option is sometimes apps will choose to send an email passcode instead. So a six digit passcode that you can just enter on the original form uh, that you're working with. So that, that definitely is one option. Uh, we find that 
phone number verification. So sending the one-time passcode is more popular with mobile heavy use cases, whereas email is a little bit more popular with desktop. Mm -hmm. And then some of the other options uh, that are very popular on our platform are things like sign in with Google, because you can verify the email address and log the user in without asking them to go to their inbox. And so it's definitely one of the areas where we see we see generally, if you think about passwords versus passwordless, if you go passwordless, uh, we've you know uniformly seen pretty large conversion jumps, but there are different types of passwordless. So for example, signing with Google, we do find uh, performs better than email magic links from a conversion standpoint because right, the user yeah. doesn't have to move out. No, I can see that. I actually, on the email one, I was just thinking, what's the difference between that and clicking on the lost, forgot my password link? Yeah, so we actually have a, a great graphic on this that I could send to you at some point. But if you think about it, often your password reset link is going to require somewhere between six and eight steps, depending on the application. So what it will say is, okay, click, forgot your password. Uh, okay, now enter your email address, which you had just done a second ago when you forgot your password, but okay, I'll supply that again. You supply your email address. They say, if we have this on file, we just sent you a password reset link. You go back to your email, uh, you click into the email and you click the link. Then it says, okay, you verified your email. Now we want you to create and confirm a new password. Okay, it has these five multi-conditions you have to hit like special characters, numbers, et cetera. You do the, those two fields, you enter those. And then often the most often implementation is that you're actually logged out after that. So they say, okay, you've now created a new password. Now enter your email address again and this new password and access the site. So while forgetting your password can seem like it's one step, I click forget my password, get an email link, often you're actually putting seven to eight steps in between a user clicking that intention and actually getting to the site to do what they wanted to do. Against the the other, against the password list where you just click on a link and then you're automatically in. Yep. Okay. And you now, can either click on that link or for example, the sign with Google um, piece, which we, we use on our own site because we find that converts really well as, as well. Now I've seen the the sign in with Google. I've also seen sign in with Facebook. Is that another option you guys offer? Yep. Yeah, definitely. So we started um, the first three sign in with X providers that we offered are Google, Apple, and Microsoft, and we're actually building out Facebook support currently. Now, how do you envision passwordless gaining broader adoption? The bigger. Th the biggest blocker that we found uh, when we were working at, so we worked at a company called Plaid before we started Stitch, my co-founder and I, and Plaid was, it's kind of the banking infrastructure for how you connect your bank account to Robinhood or Venmo or anything. And so we were really interested in the concept of, could you connect your bank account to Venmo or Robinhood without having to remember your password? And the thing that we found was most inhibiting adoption, both of that with banking technology but also when we talk to a lot of other developers about, you know, why haven't you built your signup and login flows to do this? Because we noticed there were a lot of security and conversion issues with using passwords in this flow. Um, the biggest really inhibitor to adoption has been the difficulty of building secure and, you know, really high quality user experiences around passwordless authentication. And so that's really where the idea for Stitch stemmed from is you could actually accelerate the trend by creating a Stripe for passwordless authentication, because then it's easy for software engineers to build this natively into their app in a few lines of code and less than an hour. And that's really the biggest piece that we found um, has been inhibiting adoption. The second 
piece, which is definitely secondary, but important is education. So often I find this with older demographics, like my parents, if I'm talking to them about it, there's that very you know common question of like, how can it be secure to authenticate without a password? And a lot of people don't realize that passwords are actually responsible for most of the fraud that we have today. And that the two-factor methods that we're using like SMS, um, biometrics, email, are really the more secure backbones that we can just use to completely sidestep the password problem. Uh, and so I think that's probably the secondary piece that maybe inhibits adoption a little bit is there is some education involved. Now, is there a favorite success story that you could share from one of your clients? Yeah, so in addition to kind of the data points I was talking about with how you can significantly increase signup and login conversion, uh, one of the other products that we released is a product called Embedded Authentication. So the concept here was there's lots of user experiences that we have that are already within logged in context. So what I mean by that is when I'm you know, scrolling through my email inbox or through my text inbox, I am effectively authenticated to that email inbox or to that text inbox. And so if I click something from that email inbox, why do I, you know, 99% of the time get a logged out experience? In particular, if you're an e-commerce brand or someone like that, that's sending me a promotional offer for $10 off or apply this promotional code, why do I click on that? And then I have a logged out experience where now I need to go through more friction if I forgot my password or I have mm -hmm. to actually log in. And so this embedded authentication product we built is a way to actually embed authenticated deep links, um, also called embeddable magic links, into the call to action buttons that you're already sending to your end users. And so, for example, one of the success stories that I find really fascinating around this, and we're starting to see a ton of adoption with this feature, is that one e-commerce company was able to increase their promotional email conversion to purchase by 300% wow. by just the fact that a user, when they are high intent and they click your $10 off or 10% off offer, they actually get a logged in experience. Because uh, that makes all the difference in the world if it's one click after they do that versus having to go through a password reset flow. Now, how does that work? Because, I mean, you can't be cookie-based, right, with all the privacy uh, restrictions that are happening. I mean, I, I wouldn't think. So how, how are they already logged in when they click on a link? Yeah, so if you think about what, when we talk about email magic links for verification, effectively a magic link is a high entropy token that gets attached to a URL that you're sending that end user to, and it gets embedded within the call to action button. So it get, gets embedded within like the button that we send users that says sign in to you know e-commerce company or sign into this merchant. Um, and embeddable magic links really work similarly, where if it's just a high entropy token that you can embed in different contexts, what that means about it being high entropy is anytime somebody clicks on it, you can be certain that no one else could have guessed what that token was. Um, this is where you kind of get into cryptography, but effectively the fact that if I am producing this token to your website, uh, and this is invisible to the user, but if I am producing this token to the website, you know that that was the unique token that was only sent to Andy at gmail.com or to Reed's phone number. And so it's always a unique token that's generated for the individual user so that we can detect and then provide access to that unique user. So it's kind of similar to like when you get a one-time passcode to log in with your phone number or, or do a two-factor authentication, they know that that one-time passcode was only generated for you. And so therefore it's a way that you 
can retain security, but also reduce the need for the user to remember a password. So when that example in your story was sending out an email, I'm assuming there's multiple links. If it's like most promotional emails, right there, you want to buy A, B, or C. Is it, how does that, it's the same token that is embedded into all those different URLs? Yeah. So for example, the way that customers work with our API when they're embedding these is that they'll say, okay, I have these hundred thousand users that I'm going to send a promotional email marketing campaign to. Um, I, what I'd like to do is for each of these users generate a unique high entropy token. And then I will use that token appended to the URLs okay. in the same okay. email context. So they can use that same token for that particular user on all those different places where you can click in that promotional email, but it is the same unique token to that user. So it's different between Andy at gmail.com gets promotion. Sure. email. So it's kind of like tracking code, except it's unique to that user. Yep. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it. Now, have there been any challenges that you struggle with in uh, services providing for clients? I think there's definitely um, a communication piece around, you know, letting developers know uh, how they can build passwordless authentication. I think actually like, you know, a number of the questions that you've asked earlier in this conversation uh, are really natural questions that come up in the integration process of, you know, how can passwordless be secure? How should I think about using these tokens versus this passwordless option? And I think a lot of it is just around being consultative with our customers and making sure they understand both why passwordless can be better for security and conversion, but also that it's not one size fits all. So for example, I often give different recommendations to a crypto or fintech app that's integrating our products than I would necessarily a news reading app or a general e-commerce merchant because they have different needs when it comes to the demographics of their audience and whether the user is primarily on mobile or desktop. And as a result, there are different passwordless authentication types that I'll recommend to them. So I think that's one of the big challenges is just making sure that we communicate um, both, you know, in those conversations clearly about how they can think about using these services. But then also the other thing I think about is we do have a self-serve model as well, where developers can just sign up and use our API. And so we try to work a lot of that content and kind of consultative advice into documentation as well that we have on our site. And so it's definitely a challenge, but also an opportunity. Now let's take a step back for a minute before we get into the different services that you guys are offering. But I see that you recently raised 90 million in Series B funding. How involved were you with this process and, and how does that process work for those that might be interested in, in taking that road? So my, my co-founder and I were both very involved in this process. Um, we're really excited to you know close this Series B round with KOTU, uh, who led the round as well as existing investors like Benchmark and Thrive and Index. And this particular round is probably different than our seed in Series A in the sense that KOTU had already been on our cap table. So they were a small investor in our Series A. And we had you know, stayed in touch with them very closely since we had done our Series A uh, in the summer of 2021. And as they had seen the metrics and kind of growth behind the product, uh, behind the scenes and all of the internal data that we've been sharing with them, they got very excited about figuring out whether there was some way that we could do a Series B now and we could you know, further deepen the relationship. And so this was a little bit different of an experience because they already were an investor and this was effectively them doubling down. Um, in the past, you know, when I think about like our seed fundraise where 
we went and pitched 25 different VCs, had a large number of term sheets, and then kind of decided who to partner with after that. Um, that's a much different process where it's more of an open process and you're pitching a lot of different individuals, explaining your vision. Uh, and for that, I think the big things that I would advise other founders that are looking uh, to raise money is one, first asking the question very honestly of whether you think this should or maybe can be a venture-backed company. There are lots of great companies that don't necessarily need venture capital because you know there's pretty short-term uh, investment that will lead to pretty immediate profitability. Uh, it's a little bit harder when you're building like a really large infrastructure company. It's why the companies like Stripe, Plaid, et cetera, Twilio have taken on venture capital as all of the upfront costs in order to make great infrastructure. So I think the first question I, I advise friends is just think about whether you want to take on venture capital. And then if you do, I think really having lots of not only quantitative data about like the product and how it's doing, but I think qualitative data and the anecdata that comes from the customer stories, the prospect pain points, et cetera, that you can share with venture capitalists makes it all much more tangible for them. And I think that's one of the things that I sometimes see glossed over is there's so much context in your head of why this company should exist. If you don't have the anecdotes or the stories that you know humans will spike on and they'll engage with uh, when you're taking this conversation on the road to those different venture capitalists, it's going to be hard to break through and really capture their attention. Now, did you and your co-founder pitch that yourselves or did you hire somebody to do that? How did that work? Yeah, we pitched it ourselves and that's the primary model I'm most familiar with. Um, I think there is something really important about the founders being able to articulate the vision and products clearly. Uh, the reason being is that as a founder, you realize pretty quickly that a lot of your life becomes selling pretty quickly. Um, you know, you're building a product, of course, and you're, you know, also engineering things. But for the most part, when you think about fundraising, recruiting, and then actually selling the product to customers, a lot of those require similar communication skills about what you're working on and why it's valuable. And so I, I do advise founders not to outsource that part of the fundraise. I was just picturing, I don't know, are you familiar with Orrin Claff? I'm not. Oh, he's the author of Flip the Script and um, Pitch Anything. So he's, um, yeah, has a lot of good stories about about pitching to uh, venture capitalists. You know, speaking of that, one of my favorite things to do in these interviews is ask this question, and it is, are there any business books out there that you can attribute to your journey as an entrepreneur? Some of the most helpful uh, content I've read since founding the company, um, and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll divide this question into things that have helped me since I've founded the company and things that helped me before that, uh, and then continue to help me. So since I founded the company, I found functional specific books to be really helpful. So for example, what is the best book? I'll ask this to my investors on recruiting or on marketing or on sales, because I find, you know, I had worked in a generalist go-to-market and then in a product management role before starting Stitch. And so there's lots of functions that I don't know enough about when I originally started the company. Um, and so one of the books, for example, that I thought was super helpful for wrapping my head around how to build a scalable and high signal recruiting function uh, is a book called Hire With Your Head. Uh, it's pretty short. It's, you know, doesn't take too long to read, but I feel like you can vastly improve your knowledge of that functional area by just spending a few hours on that. And I try to kind of think about that with every new function when I have to think about learning a new skill set. 
Um, so that was, that's been helpful since I've been an entrepreneur is kind of diving into books and content like that. Um, there are also like biographies I find pretty helpful. So for example, one recently that I read that I thought was really interesting was software. Uh, and it's about the story of Oracle and Larry Ellison. Um, and it's actually written in a really interesting way where, uh, Larry Ellison has the ability to retort some of the biography because it was a like slightly joint um, publication. And so it's interesting to hear the biographer's take and then Ellison's kind of context that he'll add on top. Um, so I found that's helpful before I start, before I became an entrepreneur and just, you know, continually find um, these pieces of content helpful are really deep dive product uh, and strategy writers like Ben Thompson uh, and Packy McCormick, where they go really deep on a company, their product and business model. That's always just super helpful. I find for kind of brainstorming different ideas and also just understanding how different things I'm not as involved in work. That's a, that's a great answer. That is a lot of tips on how you have gotten the most out of books in your different steps. I, I really appreciated that. You know, speaking of the company, let's get a little bit more specific. What problems are you solving with Stitch for your clients and how do you stand out from, from the competition? Biggest competition we have today are the incumbents like Okta or AuthZero, um, or if you decide to build in-house kind of a username and password uh, model for signing up and logging in users. And the big thing that we solve for clients, then communicate to prospects, and it helps us stand out from the competition, is that we're not a authentication, we're not just an authentication company. We really consider ourselves a conversion company. And so when I think about that, when a prospect comes inbound and they're thinking about updating their onboarding or login flows, our intent is to give them the most secure passwordless methods, but then also give them consultation on which we've seen drive the highest conversion at different parts of the funnel for companies like them. And so I think that's a big difference in terms of like moving from an incumbent authentication vendor to something like Stitch is often the sales process has been kind of checkbox where it's like, okay, I don't have to do the work to implement authentication. And I know it's done securely because there's this multi-billion dollar company that just thinks about this. All of those things are still true as Stitch, but I think the next level value generator that we talk the most about with our prospects and customers is let us help you convert more users um, and continue to uh, increase conversion along the way as we introduce more features. And so I'd say that's one of the big ways that we stand out relative to competition. So let's talk now about what services you offer when somebody comes in and, and I mean, how, how's that conversation go? You ask them what they need. They're already familiar with you. They're not. How's walk me through that. Yes. So we offer a range of different passwordless authentication products. And then we also offer the ability to wrap them together in what we call kind of like templates for what makes sense for your company. And so some of the example products that we had talked a little bit about earlier are kind of like the base level products and features where, okay, I have email-based authentication options like magic links and passcodes. I have phone-based authentication options like uh, SMS passcodes. We also support WhatsApp passcodes for international clients. Uh, and then I have a range of other kind of general authentication methods that are cross um, mobile and desktop. So biometrics, uh, OAuth connections. So that's what like sign in with Google, Apple, Microsoft, et cetera is. And we have all of those as different kind of individual products. Uh, but I think the big question often, this is where we you know, work with our, our customers is 
what are the right, what's the right set of those products that makes the most sense for you. And so some of that is consultative, but then we also do have front end components where, for example, if you wanted us to own the UX and UI of your signup and login flow, rather than just using our APIs and you own the design, we also can give you that out of the box. And so that's another service we offer is effectively a front end on top of these authentication products so that you can just stick our SDK in your app or website and forget about it. And you know you can track the pretty immediate conversion bump that you'd see there. So are these like a la carte? You pick three different one. You know, you charge for each one you pick, and and whether you're hosting the the interface, um, or is it a pack? You have different packages. How how yeah. are customers built? Yeah. So there's two different kind of options. You can use our pay as you go model, or you can do custom negotiations. So the pay as you go model actually bundles all of the products, and we charge based on a monthly active user. So for example, uh, a monthly active user is defined as did a user actively sign up or log in okay. with Stitch that month. And then that covers, you can get signed with Google, you can get email magic links, you can get SMS, you can get biometrics, really anything that makes sense for your use case you can use. Um, and that starts at 10 cents per monthly active user. Uh, that also includes like the embedded authentication products. The reason we have the custom uh, discounts and negotiation is we understand Businesses have different contexts uh, around like what they're doing, um, the value prop that this will provide them. And sometimes they maybe just need one of those products. And so we're happy to do a la carte pricing in those scenarios, as well as figure out um, unit rate discounts as well, if they you know, are bringing 100,000, 500,000, a million users to the platform. So who is the perfect customer for your agency? If this person's listening right now, that's the person who really should call you or contact you. Yeah, so it's interesting because we are a horizontal product. And what I mean by that is any vertical, any product could use us to have a better, you know, user authentication, sign up and login flow. Um, I think, you know, beyond that, like really the perfect client is one that is interested in improving conversion and also just the user experience of their end users and wants to partner with someone that can help guide them through that, but also give them the technology to do it. And is there, I mean, you mentioned the, the 10 cents per login. Is there a, a minimum? I mean, should a company be of a certain size before they think about doing something like this? Uh, no, no minimum at all. So it's actually the first 100 monthly active users are free today. So you can actually get started and pay nothing. But then there's no minimum uh, to get started. You can sign up and even self-serve into the product if you don't want to talk to anyone. Um, of course, we're happy to talk with you and kind of guide you through more details of implementation, even actually architect things, if that's interesting. Uh, but really, our product is designed to be, you know, a two-person startup can use it from the beginning, or a Fortune 500 enterprise can make that migration password list to provide better security and user experience. And does your software work on any type of platform, any side of website platform? Yep, exactly right. Okay, great. Well, it sounds great. Um, how could an interested listener learn more about working with you and connecting with Stitch? Yeah, so our website is stitch.com, S-T-Y-T-C-H.com. Uh, and if you go to the website, there's a couple different options. One is you can just sign up and check out the docs and check out the product. But we also have a call to action that says talk to an auth expert. And so if you would like you know, a little bit more kind of 
uh, architecture advice or for us to show you some examples of what others have done in your industry that has seen really good results, we're happy to set up some time to actually walk you through what a passwordless transformation could look like for your business. Well, this has been great. Is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap it up today? You know, I think uh, I, I've really enjoyed this podcast, um, also listening to your past episodes for making each click count. Uh, and so I think the only thing I would just say is one of the things that we're really excited about is just, you know, as we think about ourselves as a conversion company and reducing friction on the internet, there's so much opportunity in the authentication space where it blocks us from signing up, logging in, or engaging with something like a promotional email uh, or anything else that you might be sending to your end users. And so we're continually excited to find new ways to reduce friction. So if you have a problem related to user friction or conversion that we haven't touched upon today, I'd also encourage listeners to reach out and just let us know what type of features or products that we're looking for. Well, it's been great. Well, thank you for joining us today, Reed. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Stitch or connecting with Reed, you will find the links in the show notes below. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business, check out our all new podcast resource center available at www.makeeachclickcount.com. We have compiled all the different past guests by show topic and included each of their contact information in case you would like more information on any of the services that I've discussed during any of my previous episodes. Well, that's it for today. Remember to stay safe, keep healthy, and happy marketing. And I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing. 